0: And so my mother, and particularly my grandmother, decided to send me my brother away uh, to Europe. That was a, a difficult journey. I did not um, uh, envisage that this will be difficult, that it will take me over a year. I had to go through about 12,000 miles back and forth through 10 countries. I was separated from my brother by the smugglers. I, I used every type of transport that you can imagine, you know, uh, lorries, trains, cars, um, airplanes, horses, walking. Boats, you know, ferries and I was asked to jump around moving train and uh, also being in the boat uh, designed for 20 to 30 people and there were 120 of us for three days and three nights almost. Uh, So there were occasions and times where I was, you know, fit into small spaces and I know I I got across from Greece to Italy on top of a lorry engine, which is very, very hot and and dangerous and risky. Mm. Um, They didn't even ask for asylum and they basically mistreated us really badly and put us in prison. And I was deported to Turkey and then I was arrested in Turkey and spent two weeks in a prison in Istanbul. And they deported us all the way back to Iran, uh, which was really, really frustrating. Yeah. And then I managed to escape from the Iranian uh, prison bus. It's just like, you know, there were situations where I don't know, not only being a 12 years old boy, but we were running for our lives. We were running for safety. And there were times where I wanted to give up, but then I had very little choice of what happens when I give up. Um, And there were times where I kind of forgot about time. I just didn't want to know what day and week and month it was because there was no point time becomes irrelevant because you know uh, there were days and nights we, s- we will spend in basements in places where it was very you know in inhumane conditions
1: hey this is your host manakshi Shivasua, also known as my boho voyage and i welcome you to another amazing episode of inspiring explorers and as the name suggests inspiring explorers is all about inspiring you with the inspiring life journeys of some of the most successful personalities from around the world and they also share with us some interesting travel experiences that are not limited to sightseeing this time on inspiring explorers we have a bravest and strongest soul who had to leave his beloved motherland when he was just a 12 year old kid and took on an uncertain unknown journey to reach his destination we have today with us the writer of the book the lightless sky gulwali Pasarle. gulwali was just 12 when he had to leave his dear homeland, Afghanistan, after the Taliban took over Afghanistan in 2006 and went on a dangerous and unknown journey to Europe all alone due to the unfortunate circumstances. At just 12 years of age, before he could reach Europe, Gulwali had to travel through about 8 to 10 countries, was sent to prison, deported, escaped prison, had his face burnt with chemicals and almost died in the Mediterranean Sea. Today, Gulwali Pasali is a best-selling author of the book, The Lightless Sky, where he has talked about his journey to safety as a child refugee. He's also a public speaker, TEDx speaker, and refugee rights campaigner and activist, and a fan of Bollywood and South Indian movies. And before we start this episode, let me tell you that you can watch all my Inspiring Explorer episodes on my YouTube channel named My Boho Voyage, spelled as M-Y-B-O-H-O-V-O-Y-A-G-E, or you can listen to them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, just search for Inspiring Explorers on the apps and you'll find the show. Also, all the links are mentioned in the description box below. Also come connect with me on Instagram at Voyage to catch me and my guests go live on Instagram and if you're on Clubhouse, let's catch up for some good conversations. And without any further delay, let me welcome our amazing guest for today, the best-selling author of The Lightless Sky and a refugee rights activist, Gulwali Pasale. So, welcome to Inspiring Explorers, Gulwali. I'm super happy to have you here. It's an honor to have you on Inspiring Explorers.
0: Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you.
1: Okay, so, you know, uh, this interview is really important to me because this is the first time I'm talking to an Afghan. Firstly, and then secondly, Afghanistan has been a part of India since history and Afghanistan being our neighbor. And we share so much history together. Like I see Kandhar being a part of the Chandragupta Mauryan empire and yet. There was a war in Afghanistan for years and we did not know about it. So could you let us know that how long has this war been going on in Afghanistan?
0: Sure, I mean, that would be a little controversial to say Afghanistan was part of India. But yes, we, we in historical, there has been, you know, empire Indians and Persian empires and they kind of colluded uh, in Afghanistan. So there's been literally in the middle. And uh, yeah, so the situation in Afghanistan is such that... Uh, not only in the last 20 years that we had insecurity and in this instability in this war, but actually the, the war has been happening for the last 40, 45 years since the Soviet Union invaded in the 70s. And, um, you know, I, I thought we have, we have left this chapter of our history behind uh, when, I, uh, when the Taliban government ca- uh, collapsed in, in early 2000. Um, and I thought we would move on, but sadly we are back to square one and we are in a little more, uh, a lot more dangerous place than we were um, 20 years ago. So, yeah it's very concerning
1: yeah and it was a time in 2006 that you had to leave afghanistan which you have also mentioned in your book the lightless sky so uh, could you share us a little bit about you know why did you have to leave and i mean it's heartbreaking for a mother to you know let her child go and that at such a young age so what happened why did you have to leave
0: so uh, back in 2006, um, sadly, our lives were at risk and in danger. My family decided to send me, my brother, to Europe for our own safety. Um, at the, we, were, we were in, in trouble with the uh, American forces, the Afghan government in the Taliban, uh, because they had a very political family members. My, fa- uh, my uncle was a commander in the Taliban. So we had a, a very difficult situations where we had to manage, and sadly, I lost loved ones in the, in the war as well, in the conflict. And so my mother, and particularly my grandmother, decided to send me, my brother, away. Uh, To Europe, that was a a difficult journey. I did not, um, uh, you know, envisage that this will be difficult, that it will take me over a year. I had to go through about 12,000 miles back and forth through 10 countries. Uh, I was separated from my brother by the smugglers. It was a hellish journey. It was very challenging. I had to travel across, you know, from Afghanistan to Pakistan, then Iran, Turkey, Bulgaria, and then I was arrested in prison, deported back and forth, and I had to start all over again. And then, you know, crossing the Mediterranean, which was very dangerous. And sadly, a lot of people are still doing it. Um, there's been about 30,000 people losing their lives in the last five years in the Mediterranean, in the agency between Turkey and Greece, and between like you know Libya and other countries in, in um, North Africa towards Italy. And um, I go to Italy, and from there um, I continue the journey across France and, and to the UK. So it was a long journey. I wish I didn't have to go through it, but uh, I came to the UK because supposedly my brother was here, but also I was unwelcomed in almost all the countries that I went through except Italy. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, the refugee crisis, the people fleeing for their lives because of persecutions, injustices, and oppressions. Um, and there's you know there are about almost over five million Afghan refugees, mostly in Iran and Pakistan, but also in Europe and also in the world. And right now uh, we used to have five around four to five million internal displaced Afghans. but since the 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 offenses of the Taliban began about about a month ago, there has been over a million uh, internal displaced in Kabul alone. so people, Move from district to cities and then cities fall to the Taliban and then they move from cities to the capital. And so Kabul were really uh, still is actually dealing with around a million um, uh, internally displaced people. And there is a a humanitarian catastrophe because the UN says about 18 million people who are in need of uh, urgent assistance, you know, like food and water and shelter before the conflict began. Now it's definitely more more than 20 million people who are in need of, you know, basic necessity and about 6 million as I said, an internal display. So they need a lot more than the other, um, you know, uh, 15 or so million people. So, yeah, Afghanistan is in a a very um, difficult situation and circumstances. And uh, people are, you know, we saw the images of um, the plane, the people uh, in Kabul airport hanging on to planes and losing their lives. So desperate. And then we also saw, sadly, a suicide bombing at Kabul airport, which killed 200 or so people. And about thirty people lost their lives in the push and the, in the overcrowdedness, and, and there was stampede at the the, uh, the crowds. So yeah these images have been keeping me awake.
1: Definitely, and I think a lot of world is shaking through it and they don't know what to do. So, like before I start all the other questions, uh, I would like to ask that what can the world do to help, and India also has refugees from Afghanistan, some being in Delhi, we have a mini Kabul in Delhi, so near Lajpat, and uh, there are people devastated with the news of Kabul and insta- uh, you know the entire Afghanistan crisis. What can the world do to help the Afghanistani refugees? Yeah.
0: So um, basically, the the relationship between Afghanistan and India has been very close, you know, near barely, as well as like, you know, we had a good, friendly relationship. There's a lot of Afghan businessmen in India. The Afghans usually visit India for medical treatments. And uh, sadly, you know, our relationship, I hope it will continue, but the government might not, the government in Afghanistan might not be very friendly to India because of Pakistan and other political reasons. And it was good of India to accept Afghan refugees, but they were mainly uh, minorities, mainly Sikhs and Hindu. It was, it breaks my heart on an Afghan. I think Afghanistan is not Afghanistan without its Sikh and Hindu population. We had a, a small number and sadly lost, a lot of them lost their lives and many were forced to flee. Not now, but, you know, in the previous Taliban regime as well. And the, what the world needs to do is not to forget Afghanistan. You know, I want India and I want the rest of the world to um, stay connected to Afghanistan and Afghans and not leave Afghans alone. I think the West has uh, pulled a rug under our feet. You know, the West has uh, left us with the wolves. I mean, what has happened was preventable. It should not have happened. If America and the Western countries, NATO countries have acted differently, it was not inevitable that the the Taliban will take over, but the Taliban were allowed to take over. And so Afghanistan was basically sold uh, to the Taliban and and Pakistan, basically. So it's very um, saddening uh, to see what has happened and what is happening right now. People's dreams are shattered. People had hopes, particularly the young, you know, uh, these Afghans you see are leaving. And there thousands, about 100,000 went to the U.S. Uh, or the U.S. evacuated them and about 15,000 came to the U.K. And thousands went elsewhere in, in Australia and Europe. These Afghans are educated, skilled Afghans. Um, they would not have been leaving uh, if the situation was not like this. Because they were there as journalists, as academics, um, civil society activists. And pe- people were doing things for the country. So, yes, I want the world to keep an eye on Afghanistan. I want, you know, I want there to be accountability. And I want the media to not... Um, you know not not uh, forget its focus because at the moment since the foreign troops left Kabul airport the media attention has really reduced and decreased. Uh, Afghan journalists have been beaten and a lot of Afghan journalists have actually uh, fled the country. The main source of news we get is mainly from Pakistani journalists who are allowed to roam around freely in, in Afghanistan unfortunately and uh, we just need international journalists to be on the ground to observe what's happening and to report because the talibans are wary and aware of you know foreign journalists and they will not do the same thing, uh, they will not be as harsh to them as they are to Afghan uh, journalists because they know the international community will then, you know, uh, make a stand. So, yes, I want, yeah, and I, I want people to help in any way they can, especially when it comes to helping refugees in their host countries. I want them to support Afghan charities and organizations like the UNHCR in Afghanistan, UNICEF and other, um, Red Cross and other charities, local charities, as well as international charity working uh, to support the the Afghan, the, the needy Afghan people. So, yeah, there are things we could all do. So we shouldn't feel hopeless and helpless and powerless, which we sometimes do, but <coughs> there are things we could do. So uh, Indians, if they could help, you know, Afghans there arriving, the new the the, the Afghan refugees there, but also to, to donate and support and volunteer with international organizations. If the media people could go and spend time in Afghanistan. So the Taliban have said they, they want to have good relationship with every country. So And also I think India should not stop its diplomatic efforts um, mm-hmm. in Afghanistan, should continue its diplomacy. In, you know, even though, We may not like the Taliban, but we should engage with them. Uh, Yeah, I hope that will happen not only, you know, just India, but all the countries in the region uh, needs to work together um, for the sake of betterment of the Afghan people.
1: Definitely. Being our neighboring country, Afghanistan, needs our help, and I hope that people spread word about it and, you know, donate to the organizations and follow gulwali on instagram and all the other social media channels because he has been having the entire links that are trustworthy so that you can donate and help uh, the afghanistan refugees and also you can buy the book the Lightless sky the donations do go to the refugees of afghanistan this one it's an amazing book it's not just about you. you know afghanistan the entire crisis but also what the children and the refugees suffer from so like gulvali uh you mentioned in the book that uh and also everywhere else in the interviews and so many th- places that i've read about you so you were 13 when you reached europe by the time you could reach europe and you went through hell the entire journey that you took so when you reached they denied your identity that you're not 13 and you're a, you're a child you're a 12 year old going through hell and you reach there and they deny your identity so what happens to the refugees when they reach there and how that can be improved
0: so no, I think it's quite you know devastating and insulting when people don't believe your age and don't believe your nationality. So the Home Office in the UK disputed my nationality and the social services and other services said that I wasn't 13 because I looked old. And that's true. I look old because I had to grow faster to survive. And I was, you know, I grew up in a war zone. Um, anyhow, I think that could be improved. You know, we need a, a culture of welcome. We need to treat people not as suspects and criminals. We need to treat them as our fellow human beings. And sadly, there are a lot of hostility in europe towards refugees and there's a lot of fear because the politicians in the media has created against people like me and i'm not a threat to anyone and most refugees are um, you know um fleeing for their safety and for their for their for their um they're fleeing violence and persecutions and they want to have a a better future and they want to, they're seeking sanctuary in asylum which is their human rights so things need to improve and, and um when people reach their host countries or the their destination they intend to arrive I hope I I felt like in the UK, people are quite generous. People are kind. Majority of the British people are, you know, uh, considerate. But it's the government and and part of the media, and perhaps it's the same with India. It's the same with a lot of countries. I mean, there was a big thing in India about this new bell, which was uh, the Muslims were not happy about, and the Indian government said they will accept refugees, but only a religious minority. Uh, So, you know, I think when it comes to refugees. No matter what religion, what uh, political affiliations you have, whatever uh, minority or non-minority, if your life is at risk, your life is at risk. And if you're seeking refuge, you should be granted that and, and treated with dignity and respect. It's not much to ask, you know. And so um, I, I, was, I was hoping I would not see the situation again, but I think there will be millions of Afghans fleeing um, for safety. And I think India and a lot of other countries has been saying that they will make the process easy in terms of visas and things. Um, you know, India has started some online visas, but the, the difficulty is getting out of Afghanistan. Kabul airport is closed. I mean, they're working on it to reopen it. Let's see how that goes. All our borders with neighboring countries have been closed. Pakistan has not been allowed. In, a lot of Afghans go to Pakistan for medical treatment. Um, and that has not been you know, allowed. You know, They've not been uh, supportive, sadly. I think only Iran has opened it, had a limited uh, opening of the border. But then it's very difficult to get the Iranian visa, to go to Iran, and then from there to travel onwards. And all of our North uh, Central Asian countries have closed their borders as well. Um, so yeah, Afghan needs help and Afghan needs support. And I think I, I ask people um, to open their hearts to, to Afghans and to other refugees um, and invest in their future.
1: Definitely. And uh, the human rights that, you know, once they are even refugees, I think the human rights that they're given are limited as a refugee. So uh, could you throw some light on the human rights that they're given and the ones that they're not given? Shh.
0: Sure. So when you become refugee, so when I go to the UK, it took me about five years to convince the government that I was a genuine refugee. So until when you claim asylum, you, you are called asylum seeker, even though you are a refugee, but then you're not officially a refugee. You're not recognized by the government. So the process took a long time and I was keep being refused uh, asylum. I was keep um, being told that I will be detained and deported to Afghanistan, even though the funny thing was they did not believe I was from Afghanistan. Um, and then, so I had to battle with the age dispute and the nationality dispute. I was granted uh, something called a discretionary leave to remain. So a very limited visa, limited leave to remain, a temporary visa. And then, uh, once I was accepted as a refugee, uh, normally you are granted five years' leave to remain, and then you can um, have some certainty. You're not in limbo. You're not have to worry about being detained and deported. So you have a lot of rights when you are granted refugee status in most of the European countries. You are right. You have right to work. You have rights to. Travel, the travel is quite limited. You can, uh, you, of course, you can get visas to places, but it's very difficult to get visas and a UN travel document, a UN refugee travel document. Um, in Europe, if you have a European uh, refugee travel document, you could travel to in, uh, within the EU. Um, but Britain, I used to be able to travel to about 15 EU countries without a visa. But now that has changed because of Brexit. We have left the European Union unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, you have a lot of rights. The only rights you don't have is that you're not a citizen. You don't have citizenship rights. Um, and then you don't have rights to vote. You don't have tr- uh, right to tr- uh, freedom, like uh, travel um, uh, freedom uh, in terms of there's a lot of restriction and you are as a refugee, you can't travel to your home country. So I have not been back to Afghanistan for the last 14 years, actually 15 years now, almost since I left. And I very much miss my mom and my family. So yes, uh, when you're a refugee, you have rights, but it's not the complete rights. And so um, in the last 13 years, 14 years I have been in Britain, the things that I could not have been able to do are two things. You have to pay tax, you have to do everything like a normal citizen, but you can't vote and you can't travel freely. Not, I don't mean like in, internally, but I mean externally. So now I recently become British citizen. Now I'll be able to travel more freely. I can go to 175 or so countries without a visa or visa and arrival, it's much easier. Being a british citizen but being an afghan you you're now basically um you know you can go to like 25 countries without a visa or visa on arrival they're all small islands in the middle of nowhere but uh, yeah so um, as a refugee you have rights but it's not equal uh, or same as as being a citizen and i've been campaigning and advocating for more rights uh, uh, fortunately the scottish government here in the uk and the welsh government because britain is made up of these small nations and um, has allowed not only refugees, but um, other people with right to remain uh, and people with right to stay uh, to vote in their local election as well as in their national uh, parliament in assembly election, but not to the UK parliament. So uh, they've also allowed, you know, they're 16 and 17 years old to vote, which is very pro- progressive, and that's great. You know, young people, like if you're 16, 17 in the UK, you can get married, you can join the army, you can do all sorts of things, but you can't vote, which doesn't make sense. And I think it's the same in India, perhaps. In a lot of places, only over 18 are allowed to vote. And there's a lot of 16 and 17 years old who are very politically engaged, who knows, you know, who, who know a, lot, a lot more than a lot of older generation or people who are in their 20s. So yeah, uh, there has been some progress, but I hope to see more refugees being able to, you know, uh, more freedom, um, freedom uh, to travel being facilitated and people being allowed to vote and have a say, because if you're paying taxes, they not having representation. That's just not fair. That doesn't make sense. And so yeah, I have been working in paying taxes, for example, um, but I have had no representation.
1: Yeah, that makes sense i mean one once you're paying taxes you should have the rights to you know vote for your government the government that you want the one that you're paying mm-hmm. taxes to so it makes sense mm-hmm. that should be given i think there are limited rights for refugees in india as well
0: yeah even in the uk if you're an asylum seeker you're not allowed to work you have to live on five pound a day you get about 36 pound a week and it's very tough because people want to have dignity want to have you know and there's shortage of job there's shortage of labors here People could work, and a lot of a lot of asylum seekers are very skilled people. They have experiences, they have qualification. Most of them, uh, some of them could work in like unskilled jobs as well. But um, it is just the government is not allowing them, and and you know they do, they don't want to be burdened on society. And that's a shame. It's the same in India and other places where if they allow people to work, they can earn uh, they can earn uh, some money and support themselves and their families, not to be a burden on the states, and not have to rely on charities and handouts. So it's it makes sense to allow people to work and give them permission to work. Perhaps if they're waiting for longer for their decision. There are people in the UK who have been waiting for 10 years to get a decision and are not allowed to work and had to somehow survive on a, on charities and food banks, which is very, you know, unfair and inhumane.
1: It is, it is. And there are kids that are suffering. Their educations are suffering because they're not allowed to school and they're not allowed to education. And they just ran from their homeland. They left everything. It's not like they were not rich back home. They were, and now they're fighting for everything that they can, you know, for Sure, and the good war. thing, yeah,
0: true. The good thing in the UK is they allow children to go to school, but if you go to university and don't have a status, you can't. But until school, you are allowed to, you know, children are allowed to go to school. But now they're making it a little difficult here, asking people for like papers and documentation. Normally, if you're a school age child, you are able to go to school. That's a good thing about Britain. A lot of European countries, it usually takes time to get into school, to get into mainstream school and get the help and support. But you're right, in most countries, you know, for example, Afghans in Iran and Pakistan, they find it very, very difficult. There are very few rights when it comes to uh, employment and when it comes to education. A lot of Afghans are not allowed to be in mainstream education. You hear this from Pakistan: "Is oh, look, we hosted 3 million refugees. Well, they're refugees because of your policies in the first place and for supporting insurgency and supporting proxy. But at the same time, when they are refugees, they have very few rights. Uh, and a lot of them are living in extreme poverty. And in, uh, in, in Iran, they have, Afghans have underground schools. Because the government, the state doesn't allow it in Pakistan. A lot of Afghans had to just get education in the camp, and they're not allowed to go to mainstream education. They just been locked. There is so much discrimination and racism. Um, unfortunately, it's just sad to see because most Afghans are in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, which is a, which is the kind of the Afghan province of the, the, the Pakistani state. In those, these are all Pashtuns, but uh, they just sad to see this the racism and discriminations against Afghan refugees
1: yeah definitely and that's in a lot of countries that i see in south asian countries are also discriminating and i hope that this gets better uh, coming towards your journey part, that uh, your mom sent you to human traffickers i want to know the amount that she had to pay you know to the human traffickers so that you could reach to europe and yet you had to go through a lot of you know difficulties that you mentioned in your book so how much did she have to pay
0: so my family, my family paid about $8,000 to get us to Europe. And uh, actually there's a difference between traffickers and smugglers. So I was mostly smuggled. I was mm-hmm. handed over to smugglers, not necessarily to traffickers, but there were times where smuggling become trafficking. There were things, there were situations where I was forced to go. When you're forced, then you are trafficked. When you have a, when, when you, when they have your consensus, when they have permission, <laughs> uh, the, the it's, it's more of a smuggling. Yeah. So there's a difference between smuggling and trafficking and traffickers and smugglers. Traffickers are more, uh, more, a bit more scary than smugglers, but they're both, I mean, it's a criminal criminal network, it's a criminal business, so there's just a, a differentiation and definition. So most of my journey, I was smuggled and I was in the hands of smugglers and occasionally traffickers, but mostly smugglers and these, these were like facilitators, drivers, people who host us in their homes, people who, you know, guides. Um, I, I used every type of transport that you can imagine, you know, uh, lorries, trains, cars, um, airplanes, horses, walking. Boats you know ferries and every transport that I uh, experienced and uh, I met lots of smugglers I mean in the book i I was able to remember about twenty five smugglers that the main ones that I have met and encountered on the way uh, so yeah um it was just a mixture of everything really so it wasn't just a, a one mode of transportation and, and uh, yeah the
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I want to say that the spaces that you were put into to be smuggled to places, you know, like the train, and that you were pushed from a train, from a running train, mm. and that's scary.
0: It was, yeah, I was asked to jump around moving train. It was moving slowly, but still it was moving. It was, it was definitely, you know, I was afraid and scared, and also being in the boat uh, designed for 20 to 30 people, and there were 120 of us for three days and three nights almost. Uh, so there were occasions and times where I was, you know, fit into small spaces, and, I know, I, I got across from Greece to Italy and on top of a lorry engine which is very, very hot and, and dangerous and risky. Mm. Um, so there were risks we were taking uh, to get to safety. Uh, yeah, it was just, and now when I'm thinking about it, it's like beyond belief, but when you're going through it, you have nothing to lose. You just, you know, you just make the most of every opportunity along the way. You just, <laughs> you know, you just give it a try and you just hope, you just hope and pray that you will come out on the other end safe and, and sound.
1: Exactly, and the part that where you mentioned that it was like a game of snake and ladders that you, I read in the book, that you reached to Bulgaria and then you were taken to prison and then you were sent back to Turkey. And then they are saying like, they'll deport you back to Afghanistan and you ran and you ran and uh, why did they deport everybody? And you know, it's so uncanny that they're doing all of these things. Person is like trying to get out of here. They are running from Taliban. He's a 12 year old kid for God's sake. Like Why not have humanity?
0: See, this is the thing. This is the frustrating. The frustrating thing was the deportation. That's why it took me over twelve months, and that's why the journey, instead of being four, five thousand miles or three thousand miles, it was twelve thousand miles. I did a, a thousand miles every month, basically. When I look back on it now, uh, the deportation was very inhumane. It was an act of you know aggressions, and it was uh, it was unnecessary in a, in most cases, perhaps illegal to to push back refugees because you should give people asylum uh, if you are if you are signatories to the UN Convention on Refugees. So Bulgaria was and. They didn't even ask for asylum, and they basically mistreated us really badly and put us in prison. And um, I was deported to Turkey, and then I was arrested in Turkey and spent two, two, two weeks in a prison in Istanbul, and then deported us all the way back to Iran, uh, which was really, really frustrating, and I was very upset and angry because, yeah, and then I managed to escape from the Iranian prison uh, prison bus. It's just like, you know, there were situations where, I don't know, not only being a 12 years old boy, but they were putting us through... We were running for our lives, we were running for safety, and and the least they could do was to allow us to continue on the journey. If they were not providing us safety, just don't bother us, we were just transiting through. But of course, countries like right now, uh, Greece has built a wall with Turkey, so they don't want refugees. About 85 kilometer border they have with them, uh, land border. They build a wall and fences on it. Um, Turkey has built a huge, huge wall with Iran. It has a big border with Iran and um, don't want the Afghan refugees to come through. Turkey deported 250,000 Afghans last year. Iran doesn't want the Afghans to come. They've been shooting them and we saw videos last year. People have been burned alive in the cars, been shot by the Iran- Iranian army or police or whatever. It's just so heartbreaking to see that countries like even everybody just doesn't want, like the UK today has made an announcement that they want uh, boats at the English Channel to be turned back to France. Everybody seems to be afraid uh, of refugees. Everyone just wants to want them not to be their responsibility. Like the UK been saying, you know, you can go anywhere but the UK. Like you should go to France. You a lot of people do stay in France, and I think to be fair to the French, uh, they're not great in welcoming asylum seekers and refugees, but they do they do take more than the UK, France, Germany, Italy, Sweden, Spain, a lot of Greece, a lot of these countries have a lot more refugees than the UK. But the UK, you know, being responsible for the wars in a lot of places and have a uh, have intervention like places in afghanistan and iraq has been doing very little to, to, to take the burden sharing so yes I, I hope there were less deportation i think deportation detention is completely unacceptable wrong particularly for refugees you know they just want uh, peaceful and, and safe lives and i still don't get it why would turkey so for example turkey has hosted you know three million or so syrians which is great but they're not, Af- they're not recognizing Afghans as refugees. So then countries like Greece have been saying, oh, Turkey is a safe country. We, should, we will not accept refugees from Turkey coming through. And Turkey is saying, well, you know, if Europe is not accepting refugees, we will not allow them to go through. And so, yeah, it's just these policies, instead of building bridges, they've been building walls uh, to stop these desperate human beings.
1: And that is really, really sad. And uh, I even heard in the news that there are places where have they are not even letting the refugees in, they're not giving them food, water, and it's raining and they're standing at the borders to get in.
0: Yeah, there's, yeah, especially in situation in Croatia, in you know, in Bosnia and Hungary, and all these, um, uh, eastern European countries in the Balkan countries, like you know, Serbia and North Macedonia. They are yeah, the situation is heartbreaking, and also on the Greek islands, mm-hmm. people are put in overcrowded camps and 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 last was in chaos and some some more islands um near the turkish border uh, like comes are built for two three thousand people they put 12,000 people in there and without certainty what's going to happen to their their future they're all in limbo so the european policies when it comes to asylum seekers um are very very uh, inhumane immoral uh wrong and i hope you know more countries do more i want, you know, i won't really want india china russia and other countries in the region to do more and to support if they're not going to host refugees at least they should support countries who are hosting refugees you know
1: um
0: and so there are like for example 80 million displaced people in the world Mm. and about 30 million refugees and most 85 percent of the world um refugees are hosted in neighboring countries
1: Mm.
0: and about 50 million are internally displaced in their own countries yeah
1: the situation just got worse and It just increases. The numbers are increasing. Uh, Gulwali, I would like to, you know, get back to your childhood where you said that you were a shepherd back in the days when you were in Afghanistan. So what was life like in Afghanistan before you had to, you know, leave, unfortunately?
0: So life was beautiful. I spent most of my childhood from age three, four till age seven or so with my grandparents living in the mountains of eastern Afghanistan. Um, We used to have sheep and goats and other animals. I was great, I really enjoyed being in the mountains, having freedom, running around with my grandparents. Um, I just spent very little time with my own parents and siblings. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And uh, yeah, life was good. And then until the war started back in 2001, which has changed everything for us, um, my my country, my home became a war zone. And we saw a lot of injustices and oppressions and, and wrongdoings by the US and foreign forces. Uh, in the country, in their kind of uh, Afghan backers. So, you know, one of the reasons, of course, I'm sad the government has collapsed, but actually in the last 20 years, there were a lot of injustices. There were a lot of oppression. So there were people in the government, in the Afghan government, who are, you know, warlords, people who take advantage of their position of power and authority and oppressed a lot of people. Um, and there were a lot of corruptions. There were a lot of issues, but of course it was much better than the situation now. But still, you know, there are Afghan people who fed up of, of supporting uh, a government, a republic, which, could not help them and a lot of people in Afghanistan once like my par- my parents and my family used to say look we were willing to give our freedom in return for security and that was one of the reasons they kind of accepted the Taliban rule in the in the early in the early 2000 because there was a civil war beforehand and there were warlords in charge of every district and provinces and they were like just lawlessness there was no central government so the Taliban came and put a stop to it but then they become quite I know fundamentalist and extremist and in evil but ultimately you know people even now there are a lot of people you speak i speak to families in, in, in rural afghanistan they just want to survive they want to provide for their families they you know they don't care who is governing kabul who is in charge of the government as long as they could be safe their property could be protected and they're able to feed their families they're able to harvest and grow things they're fine but of course the young afghans we want to, you know we want accountability we want freedom we want opportunities and we want uh, democracy which you know which makes sense but for, you know, sadly the previous government for the last 20 years were just, you know, there were so many, so much mismanagement in uh, arguments amongst themselves. They couldn't agree on governments. They were challenging each other. There were people in government ministers, but also in opposition. Uh, So, you know, um, I mean, democracy is great, but Afghanistan was a very young democracy. And so, yeah, the times of my childhood was was good memories, uh, being with my grandparents and then, you know, experiencing the war and growing up in a war, was uh, was tough and sadly that's why a lot of afghans were forced to flee uh, and i have friends in the uk also in europe we came all as kind of kids and children now we all grown up we have our own families and uh, i just wish i just wish we didn't have to go through this experience and then now seeing you know what's happening in afghanistan with the taliban takeover and how the world just allowed it to, to happen it's just another chapter in our history and i hope this will not last long i hope things will improve somehow i don't know how but somehow and uh, we, we, know we, I'd be able to go back and see my mom and my siblings who i am not seen for the last 15 years. But my childhood was definitely the highlights of my life um, being a shepherd.
1: And being a shepherd was cool. You, you guided your own mm. sheep and you lived in yes. the mountains in the tent. And all of this is mentioned in the book, The Lightest Sky in detail do go read it uh i also want to ask you that what kept you going you know that you mentioned that you haven't seen your mom for 15 years now and it's really sad what kept you going to reach europe because it was a tough very tough journey
0: sure so basically what was keeping me going was three things not letting my mother's down because she sent us away and told us you know not to come back and you know stay stay focused and finding my brother so because i was separated by smugglers from my brother i was hoping to find him everywhere i went to look for him so not letting my mouth down the determination to find my brother and i had hopes and faith i'm a, i'm a believer and i thought things was happening for a reason perhaps god had a better plan for me and uh, i over, i will overcome this as much as frustrating and difficult and hard it was you know i will o- i will overcome this adversity and there will be a light at the end of the tunnel mm, so yeah the, the the thing that was going keeping me going was faith and hope and my mother's prayers perhaps in you know finding my brother and there were times where i wanted to give up but then I had very little, very little choice of what happens when I give up, what do I do? So there was no really turning back as such. I had to continue. Um, And there were times where I kind of forgot about time. I just didn't want to to know what day and week and month it was because there was no point. Time becomes irrelevant because, you know, uh, there were days and ends we will will spend in basements and places where it was very, you know, in inhumane conditions. You just didn't want to, to count days. You just wanted to, you know, live there
1: yeah it was tough and you learn how to escape prisons and that's mm-hmm. the quality that you gain from there and i hope things get better and that you get to meet your mom because that's something man 15 years is a lot
0: i hope so yeah i mean like i got married here and i wish my mom would have been here yeah i got a little baby zoha about mm, 10 months ago and you know, sorry, know i, would, I want
1: She's yeah really cute. i want her
0: Thank you. I want her to, you know, I want her to grow up with her her grandma and the and the yeah. uncles and the aunties. But uh, there's being a refugee; it's a huge sacrifice. And then you had to explain to people why they shouldn't be mean to you and should welcome you. Uh, you know, my uh, suddenly my little sister passed away. I didn't see her. My grandmother, who was Mommy, most beloved sorry. to me, yeah, my mother, my grandmother, who was very dear to me, she passed away, and I was not there. Like my brother got married. One of my sister got married, and so all these occasions that happens, you know, once in a lifetime you want to be part of it and so I wasn't and so that's the the sacrifices that most refugees make and uh, you know at least I've been fortunate to go to university get a degree have a master travel the world write a book and do all sorts of cool things and amazing stuff but ultimately if I have a choice if I want to be anywhere I want to be with my loved ones that was that's what I've been trying to explain to people that you know when you become a refugee it's not something out of a choice it's out of a necessity and something that is not in your control
1: obviously the grandmother that you mentioned as i see the picture in the book she is a very strong and loving lady like i see her as somebody you know truly uh, a motherly image and a strong woman of afghanistan and i wish that you were in the
0: indeed she was indeed she was yes yeah
1: so uh, you mentioned in your books, a lot of uh, places that you were, you know, during the transit to Europe, you went to a lot of places and your uh, little childhood brain and creativity was observing the cultures really crisply, the differences that were happening. Would you like to share some, uh, you know, experiences from those travels? Like when you were going to the bazaars and you were shopping in Istanbul and a 12 year old kid seeing, a, you know, a vast difference in culture altogether. You're now out in a journey. So would you like to share some experiences from those cultures?
0: Of course, I mean, you know, I, wish, I love traveling. I've been to about 20 countries in the last five years since I've been able to travel and with the publication of the book. It's, you know, I love traveling, meeting, in, uh, meeting new people, experiencing new cultures. But when I was in the journey, I didn't really enjoy it. It was, uh, it was not something that I wanted to do, but yes, the culture were very different. Everything was strange to me. I was experiencing a lot of things for the first time, like traveling on the train or being on a boat and even being on a plane being in all sorts of things that I was doing was for the first time. And Istanbul was very interesting because it was a very liberal city. Um, it was very open-minded. There was women walking around without hijabs. That was something strange for me to see. Even because like in Afghanistan, even in Iran, uh, people were completely like, women were completely covered. So there was a lot of culture shocks um, around. I mean, Istanbul was very much like, Turkey, like, like the rest of Europe when I continued on the journey uh, onwards. So yeah, I was definitely um, experiencing things that I did not expect to experience. So, uh, and th- that, that has been my life for the last, you know, 13 years. I've been learning new things and transforming, trying to keep to my own beliefs and principles, which are important to me, but also, you know, letting go of some of the, the views that I held about women and about, you know, other people and so, other religions and so on. So it's been a truly uh, an educational experience for me. And I think the journey has made me who I am today. I, when I was going through that, I didn't really think of it as such, but now later on reflecting on it in, um, you know, I, I always try to be kind and compassionate and because I've seen what it means not to be kind. I saw a lot of um, humanity and kindness from people on the journey, but also I saw cruelty and inhumanity from man to man as well. And so it made me realize that the importance of little things in life. So whenever, for example, when I'm a, when I see somebody struggling on, on the train or somebody needs help in, in the city or somebody needs support, or advice or whatever you know I'm always I'm always trying to help especially if I see somebody who lost uh, when I'm in London and somebody lost in the tube or something I always make an effort to help and support them if there's an old person needing help with their baggage like little things because when I was on this journey these there were little things which made a huge difference to me somebody giving me a lift or somebody just like advising me or giving me the directions giving me food or some money or just being you know nice and kind to me and just like acknowledging that I existed so yeah, I, I just I, one thing I've been telling people when I do talks, when I travel to schools and universities here in the UK, and also I say, look, we shouldn't take anything for granted. But also, we as human beings habit within us, ourselves to be compassionate. We are capable of showing humanity. We are we can impact people's lives. It depends how we do it. It depends, you know, whether we want to be uh, we want to touch them in a positive way or in a negative way. So we all have these our our actions and actions have consequences i to some really like cool parts of the world. I went to like small country, Malta a few times. I went to lots of cool places uh, in, in Europe and elsewhere. I went to Azerbaijan once for a conference. That's the furthest or the closest I've been to Afghanistan. And when I was um, coming to the UK on the journey, uh, first started watching Indian movies. We used to rent films in Istanbul.
1: Ah, uh, I, I read that I in your book, I read that.
0: Yeah, so, so that's where the kind of the movie thing started. And then in the UK, we used to have like in the evenings, we used to have times on our hands uh, at home, up to school or college. So my friend, he had a huge, um, you know, these cassettes, these, uh, these uh, big... VCRs. Uh, type years. cassettes, what they, Yeah, VCRs. And literally we had like, yeah, hundreds of films. And so he would watch like old, uh, really interesting movies. You saw like really old movies. So yeah,
1: <laughs> there you go. That's
0: how I kind of... That's how I kind of learn Hindi and Hindi uh, Agar understand but I studied Urdu uh, here yeah. in school in the UK. Uh, so my kind of Urdu is mixed with Hindi and Urdu. Uh, but uh, anyhow, kind when people speak, It's kind of the same.
1: It's kind of the same. I understand
0: them. I get yeah. it. When people speak to me, I completely get it. I love to, I love trying different food, especially if it's, you know if it's halal. If you you gotta open you, you gotta have an open mind. Uh, to cultures and, and and differences i think differences is not a bad thing so yeah i've learned a great deal about humans and i think humans inherently are not bad humans are not evil people have their fear or their you know ideas of uh, otherness and stuff but once you meet people um, you know they warm up to you the, the human interaction the human connections i mean look you are in india and i'm in the uk i'm afghan and look we, we are we are having there are things we have in common. There are things we, you know, we disagree on. But still, we could be, you know, we could be friends and we, we're having this conversation and this dialogue. That's important. And not having conversation, not having dialogue is, is dangerous. I think, you know, if politicians in in countries and people disagreeing with each other could talk to each other and overcome their differences and trying to find a common ground and compromise. So yeah, I and mean, through through university, through school, and, and my experiences of traveling, I have uh, I have learned a lot, and I've definitely let go of a lot of my um, I don't know egos and my uh, prejudices and uh, unconscious bias I mean we still have these like we're humans but I, I try to uh, try to treat people with respect and dignity that you know I want to be treated with so yeah
1: yeah and the last time I knew that you uh, English was your fifth language traveling so much so uh, now how many languages do you speak
0: um, still, I'm, I'm losing, I'm, I'm forgetting <laughs> most of the languages. So it's like, yeah, I'm trying to focus on English and learning, so I say, yeah, Pashto, Dari, Farsi, Urdu, I mean, Hindi, I could speak and, uh, and some English, but I, I really want to learn Arabic and I have, I have become a lot lazier in recent years. <laughs> I used to be very healthy and fit and active. I think, you know, when you are, when you have a comfortable life compared to like, you know, other, like when I growing up, I used to, you see from the book, we used to work in fields, we used to work in shops, had a very productive and busy life, and also on the journey. And early on, because I wanted was so determined to, to get my schools done, to go to college, and then do my university, and do my studies. And now, like I'm, you know, done. But then, I have become a lot of soft. I complain about little things. I complain about the weather. I complain about traffic. And you know, I complain about things that that just they. But again, that's that's what human beings we are. You know, I sometimes think about. I don't always think about like my journey or my experiences of the people in Afghanistan. Um, you know, people have a lot more problems to deal with than than a traffic jam or, or the bad weather. Um, <laughs> so yeah, certainly I should be learning more languages, supporting refugees, helping people. I like get a lot of media inquiries. So I have been very, very busy to be honest, and also busy with our family. We have a little girl and she keeps us entertained and she keeps us busy, but I think I'm making excuses now, but I should have learned Arabic and I should have, you know, I did, I was keen on German when I was at school because like my book is published in seven countries and six mm-hmm. languages, including yeah. Germany and France. And I would love to. And I would love to learn Arabic and maybe German or French. French will be a little difficult. I think German is something that I could, I could give it a try. Um, at school, I was good at it, but then I needed to learn English first. Uh, so yeah.
1: <laughs> I also started learning Arabic, and I could differentiate. Like it's like uh, when you can speak Urdu, Urdu and Hindi uh-huh. are similar, and like Farsi, I told you some words are similar. But <laughs> then uh, you cannot read and write Urdu, so it's funny that we both can thing. speak. Like all these languages, but we cannot read and write. So I was trying to learn those letters. So I learned alif and ba and ta and you know
0: no. And yeah, once, once you get, yeah, once you get the alphabet, and then hopefully then you can join them together. Join them, so yeah. that, You know, Pashto, Dari, Farsi, and Urdu, because I can read them all because they are all from Arabic. And I read the Quran. And I can kind of understand, yeah. uh, you know, writing or reading it. I do speak with my friends and family in Pashto, and so I think it's good to learn languages. Whenever I meet. You know, my Indian friends, I speak to them with Hindi. And I speak to my Pakistani friends in Urdu. I speak to my Iranian friends in Farsi. And I think it's, it's wonderful. It's quite like, you know, it makes you, makes you feel really intelligent. It's, it makes you feel more intelligent than you are. But I think, no, learning language is great because if you can talk to people in their own languages, when people talk to me in Pashto, or in Dari, that really impresses me, you know? If somebody who is non-Afghan and speaks to me in Dari or Pashto, and even if they've done something really wrong, I'll forgive them because that, the connection that you have with people, if they speak your own language, it's different. It's like, it's special.
1: <laughs> so next time think to be noted that learn Pashtun and then talk to Gulwali. <laughs> so exactly, yes. Forgive you. <laughs> I'll give you a treat <laughs> for that matter. Also, you were uh, you had a plan for running for a president of Afghanistan in 2035. And I hope you do so that I can travel in Afghanistan.
0: <laughs> I would love for people to come and see Afghanistan. One of my dreams is to travel across Afghanistan. We have 400 districts and 34 provinces. I want to visit, I want to spend time with people. That's kind of one of my daily dream. I want to spend a year traveling across the country. And about presidency, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of, I used to be, um, again, when I was young, you have like, you know, your blood is warm and you want to do things. And now I'm like, you know, I'm coming to a realization. Maybe it's not something that I could do. I, I would, I was very keen on becoming parliamentarian in Afghanistan, becoming an ambassador for Afghanistan. I hope so, that still happens using my education and experiences of representing my people in the country but uh, maybe not anytime soon let's uh, yeah i hope uh, before i'm too old i have the chance to serve my people i mean i continue to serve afghanistan and afghans in the interest so whenever i travel whenever i do talks i'm i'm reimagining or rebranding afghanistan and afghans and i'm trying to share the suffering as well as the beauty and through the book i mean half of the lightless sky is about afghanistan in my childhood there because i wanted to give people the uh, an understanding of what afghanistan is look like what afghans goes through in the you know our our lives and our experiences and our families so i hope you know to play a positive role uh, in, in rebuilding afghanistan that that continues to be my aims and objective doesn't matter the position or the authority that i have i will continue to do what i can as a writer as an uh, um, campaigner as an at- activist and advocate for human rights and refugees rights and social justice and whatnot you know, Afghanistan will always be uh, an important part of my life. And I, no matter what I, where I get to, I will not forget my roots and I will want to help my people in any way that I can. You know, the least I could do is give them a voice. And in the last two three weeks, I've done like 35 interviews with mainstream media here. And it's been exhausting. It's been mentally and emotionally difficult. But I think, you know, that's the least I could do to speak out and share their pain and their suffering with the world and hope to find, you know, durable, sustainable solutions to the humanitarian situation in the country.
1: Definitely. And the more that you throw light, and I think every day that we learn a lot about Afghanistan through you and through your channels, social media channels. And also I've learned a lot through your book. Like I did not know that there was sand in your you know carpets and then you have to, you know, brush it up every time, every day, because there's a lot of sand in the house. So, uh-huh. yeah, that's something new I learned about, you know, living in Jalalabad or Herat and then it's like, and my mom got to know that it's cold in Afghanistan and she's like, no, it's, 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 Registan. and I'm like, no, it's cold. No,
0: Afghanistan is a very cold, very mountainous, very, but so Afghanistan, like, you know, it's a different parts. but like Jalalabad is usually warmer because we're close yeah. to Peshawar, mm-hmm. but Kabul in North Afghanistan is very cold, but in South and West is more of a desert. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a very interesting climate. It's it's cold in winter, it's warm in summer, but it's like you know it could be. Uh, it's a mix. In the middle, yeah, it's a mix. It's a mix. It's definitely like mountainous. There's a lot of. Uh, it's not really as such, but there are places like in western Afghanistan, west south southwest Afghanistan, like Nimroz, for example. It's called Nimroz. It means half a day because there are a lot of sandstorms mm. and uh, there's a lot of deserts. But most, you know, most of Afghanistan is agricultural land, and uh, there are a lot of rivers. So yeah, Afghanistan is, you know, um, it's a small country, but it has a different climate and different seasons, Also like proper Pan- seasons.
1: Yeah, and also Panjshir is almost like Kashmir, I think.
0: Yeah, Panjshir is definitely very beautiful. It's in the Hindu Kush,
1: um, yeah. so <laughs> Hindu
0: Kush mountains. Literally, it's just it's it's really beautiful valleys, and there's a lot of other beautiful places. As exactly. well you know as well as as well as, um, as, well as Panjshir. but Pancher is well known because of political reasons political but yeah, reasons, yeah. Are there are other less known less known places which are as beautiful as, Which one as would Panjshir? you
1: suggest you know if, if we ever get to travel to Afghanistan?
0: I would love people I know I mean main, main cities like in the north the main city is Mazar sharif it's very uh, culturally it's important it's religiously important it has beautiful architecture. Um, but also like you know Herat is uh, the culture capital of Afghanistan and Kandahar is very historical politically and religiously and uh, you know and so Jalalabad the, every city has had its own like you know speciality but I feel like if people want to travel they should definitely go to the different regions the different we don't have regions but like hubs different provinces and central Afghanistan is definitely you know Bamiyan which uh, which is very very historical and cultural like Ghazni uh, the Ghaznavid Empire started from Ghazni, uh, and uh, it was the Islamic um, Islamic culture capital uh, a few years ago. Uh, it has uh, it has huge significance. The other places were like War War is a province which the Ghurid Empire started from. After the Ghaznavid was de- the Ghaznavid was defeated by the Ghurid in the you know in the 11th century, in the 10th century, they governed all the way to India, to New Delhi. I mean, all the way to to Bengal, and yeah. so you know before we're talking about India, Afghanistan. So the Ghaznavid Empire and the Ghurid Empire. And then we have Ahmashah, Durani, Abdali, Abdali's empire, Durani's empire. So yes, there's been a. Um, there are a lot of places that I think people, when you, when people visit, hopefully, should not just go to the main cities, but should go to all these little places, less known places. We have beautiful um, fruits, and you know we have. Afghanistan is full of fruit, t- different tests, tastes, t- t- and the food we have is like unmatched. Uh, and, 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 and because it's a mixture of, you know, Central Asia, there's influence of Indian influence, there's like the Persian influence, but Afghan cuisine is very, very unique. So, yeah, I encourage people to try it in Delhi and elsewhere where there are Afghans food and to check it out, because I've been seeing some blogs from Indians.
1: They've yeah. been going
0: to the little Kabul and trying uh, yeah. trying the Afghan food.
1: Yeah, yeah. Check it, it- out. Yeah, there's a mini Kabul in, uh, you know, Lajpat, and I used to go to Lajpat a lot, and I still do, so, you know, it's a very good shopping center, and I found I find a lot of Afghanistanis there, you know, and they're all, all these Afghans are with their families, and it's it's, it's so cool to see that, you know, the attire that they wear, the Pashtunwali attire, you know, the, the hats and that mm-hmm. kurta, and so it's it's amazing to see all of that. All right, so coming towards the end of the interview, any last message that you would like to give to our listeners and viewers?
0: I just want people to make the most of every opportunity they have, and um, just realize that you know when we go through, when people go through these experiences, you know it could be anyone. Anyone could become a refugee. And I think mm-hmm. please learn more, educate yourself, be aware, be a concerned citizen, care about what's happening in the world. Like for example, you know right now what's happening in China with the Rohingya, the Uyghur Muslims, and the Rohingyas in Burma the injustice elsewhere in the world and also we discussed Kashmir earlier before the, the interview like when there are injustice happening you should make a stand even like you know the Quran says that if, if, if your father is unjust you should call it out and I think we need to be fair we need to be just so of course we you know people love their the army their government or whatever they are their nationalists or whatnot we should always be in a position to be able to call out when we see oppression, when we see injustices, because ultimately, like as a Muslim, we believe your, your question on the day of judgment about your actions or inactions, and you know, the, the good or the bad that you have done, we will all be questioned, but I think, you know, perhaps we will be questioned about the rights of other people as well. And so we should we should give people their rights and treat them with dignity and respect, and, uh, and just be curious, learn, be open-minded, and uh, learn about different cultures, try different food, and, and live a uh, fulfilling life, live a life to the, uh, to the full potential. <laughs> I, I encourage people, I invite people to learn more and to, I mean, to s- research about Afghanistan, to ad- about other countries, other uh, situations, and to understand, um, you know, we live in a world, we live in a very globalized world. Whatever happens in Afghanistan impacts us elsewhere. For example, with the virus, you know, started in China, it has impacted the whole world. And when we see um, things happening in the world, we should not, we should not close our eyes to, uh, to injustices and wrongdoings. We should always be able to call it out and make you know make our voices heard especially if you're living in a democracy go out and protest demonstrate don't take your freedom don't take your democracy for granted <laughs> hold hold your hold your loved ones close uh, to you especially we saw with the covid19 a lot of people lost their lives in india yeah. as well as elsewhere so yeah we have we had definitely have a responsibility and duty to support our old parents i mean we will never be able to repay them back for what they have done for us but we definitely need to show kindness to them and uh, yeah please please be kind to your parents because. Uh, they have raised you. They brought you, they've given you an upbringing and the least you could do is to show them kindness and support them in their, in their days of need.
1: Definitely. And that's a very beautiful message there Gulwali and thank you for this message and thank you for being on Inspiring Explorers and honoring me with being on this show and thank you for being with us. Thanks,
0: thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the work that you do. Wishing you success and good luck and I hope our path crosses one day when when I visit Definitely. India or you come to the UK and yes, And stay safe and um, continue doing what you're doing.
1: Definitely. And prayers for Afghanistan from our side. Yes. Korea, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for being here. So this was Gulwali Pasali's inspiring life journey so far. And I hope this episode helped you understand about the Afghanistan and refugee crisis. Thank you so much for giving your precious time to this podcast. If this episode was inspiring and insightful, please do drop a comment on my Instagram and YouTube channel, My Boho Voyage. All links are available in the description box below. Do check out the video versions of the episodes on my YouTube channel, My Boho Voyage, M-Y-B-O-H-O-V-O-Y-A-G-E. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel, all links provided in the description box below also, I hope. You come connect with me on instagram and drop me a hi or write a comment so that i know we are in this journey together this is minakshi shavasava your host for inspiring explorers saying goodbye and wishing peace for afghanistan and the world see you next week with an amazing inspiring interview till then take care goodbye